one, two, five, nine. Robin Breezer, servant leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? Listeners, this week on the podcast, John is back with us to teach us about uh, the origins of aliens and conspiracy theories. So, John, welcome back. Good to be here. Uh, and I'm just going to let you start. Okay. So, um, first, you know, uh, the, the question of what is out there in the universe is something that people have always pondered. We've created religion around it. We've created countless pieces of fiction, just everything in the world. But the story that I'm telling today comes when people looked up into the sky and said, gee, I wonder, are there white people out there? <laughs> and for these people, the answer was absolutely yes. Oh, no. Yeah, no, it's not a good starting point, but it's where we're at. The starting point of this, I was going to put squarely in Germany in the late 1800s. But there's a very good article from the Southern Poverty Law Center that I looked at to kind of refresh myself and found out that this actually is something that predates the typical starting point that people put alien conspiracies to, which is uh, the uh, Anna Neighbor and the German archaeological groups that were active in Nazi Germany. It actually starts way back, and we see it in Andrew Jackson defending his Indian removal policies. What? Yeah, right? It's weird. For him, though, he's not looking to the stars. He's looking to Europe. And he looks out and he sees all the people who are rightfully criticizing him for forcing people off their land. And he says, guys, it's not even their land. Europeans were the first people to settle the Americas. And we know this because of the mound builder civilization. And this is, this is not something I'd heard of before. <laughs> I am like broken. Like I, we are two minutes into this recording, and I'm. Oh, already... it's gonna get so much worse, Joe. Just uh-huh. trust me. This is okay. we're not even at the crest of a wave. But yeah, they said the mound builders were so complex. And I live in West Virginia. I have not been to Moundsville personally, but we have learned about the mounds. You know, our whole ding dang life. I wouldn't call it the pinnacle of like American building projects, in terms of what native peoples have done. So I don't know that I know what the mounds are. I'm realizing that. Oh, yes. I Thank you. <laughs> Again, I, I forgot that people don't just hear about the mound civilization their whole life. The mound builders were a group of native peoples. One of the earlier ones, like they don't have any real historical markers outside of the mounds that have survived. They probably predate most of what we think of as native peoples of the United States and South America even. So they are in the early, like the early, you know, 100,000 years ago migrations into North and South America were mostly in South America. So they're past that, but before what we typically think of in terms of human migration. And they built a civilization that spanned from up, I think as far as New York and down into like Mississippi. And the thing that defines them is burial mounds huge structures made of stone and uh, dirt and everything you can imagine uh, that had burials of, of prominent figures in the community. I'm sensing a, uh, a pyramids connection here. In terms it's of- very much the pyramids thing. They said, how could people build something like this? And again, it's an impressive feat, um, and it predates a lot of history that we know about. Like, I don't think we really have an idea of what the civilization was like. 
um, mm -hmm. outside of a few archaeological records and these mounds, of which I think there's only like two or three left because a lot of them were, you know, bulldozed to build. One of them is in West Virginia. It's in Moundsville, so named for the mounds. And it's the, I believe the Grave Creek Mound is the one there. And if you go there, there are just buildings all around it. And this is like the one thing that they could convince them to put a fence around and not build over. Wow. But the mound civilization has a similar thing to what you get with like the cliff dwelling peoples in the western part of the United States. And I wish I could remember the specific name because the issue with that is that we use the term that is given to them by other peoples most often. So I can't remember what their actual name is right now. It's kind of like, you know, the, the Lakota and calling them Sioux. That's not what they call themselves. They are the Lakota. Um, right, right. And so I'm, I can't remember their actual name. But it's a similar issue where people look at that and just like in Egypt, they say, Surely, you know, the people who lived here couldn't have done it. It was someone else. And for some people, surely Europeans came here. But that didn't satisfy people for a long time. And in the late 1800s, especially in Germany, and I think a lot of these things come from Germany because they had a lot of people who were just doing studies. I mean, mm -hmm. this is where so much of modern science starts is 1850s into the 1950s Germany. Um, the beginnings of psychology as we know it today, the beginnings of chemistry as we know it today, all these things are coming in that sort of German block. Hmm. And unfortunately with that, ideology and science mix together to come up with a lot of horrible, horrible things. And one of the theories that starts to develop is the concept of the Aryan race, something that we all you know, have heard of tangentially. But the essential claim of it is that all the pinnacles of civilization throughout history are because of a race of people developing somewhere in between India and the Caucasus Mountains. Depending on who you talk to, they'll be in different places. And that these people brought civilization to the entire world. This sometimes melds with like Indo-European actual science stuff. So people will say that the Indo-Europeans were the Aryans or vice versa. But again, it's people will make of it what they want to. So they maybe came from the Caucasus Mountains, which is where we get the term Caucasian. Is like us using the word Caucasian instead of white part of this like master race conspiracy theory? I don't I don't think it's that. I do know that there is a move away from using Caucasian because if nothing else, it's just inaccurate. Most right, right. most white people do not have ancestors in the Caucasus. Huh. My my ancestry is so much Anglo Saxon that when we look into it, we can't get off the British Isles. Like, we just stay there. But yeah, Caucasian comes from just the idea that that's where we originate. And it's not true. I don't know what particular theory that comes from. But probably it is mixed in with this to a certain degree. I just don't mm. think that, like, the continued use of it probably isn't rooted so much in that. It just became the term. But who knows? I could, I, that's a, a, a short sight in my anthropology. But so people, for a while, this is kind of the norm, and it goes into a lot of, you know, Nazi propaganda and general racist ideology. But of course, some people wanted to go weirder with it, to make it <laughs> even more ancient. And that is where the Anna neighbor come up with their kind of uh, archaeological quests. And this is something that is covered in Indiana Jones and in countless History Channel specials. But the Nazis were interested in archaeology to prove that there was this concept of a lost master race. 
Hmm. And part of this was a thorough belief in Atlantis. They were trying to find what civilization, I know, it's weird, uh, could have been Atlantis. And to them, that was the master race that was lost. How were the pyramids built? Well, the Atlanteans told them, and they were all white and strong and great. And probably there was a spectrum of belief. I don't think that every one of these uh, racist scientists were like, oh, yeah, Atlantis, that's the thing. Uh, but a lot of them were willing to go with it. And so they did. But that sort of discussion, that sort of study, um, really shaped what would become the UFO community. Wow. Yeah, it, it starts It starts in a weird place because alt-archaeology, again, has most of its roots in this desire to track down a master race. So then we come to people who say, well, maybe it's not terrestrial, maybe it's extraterrestrial. And the things from the beginning come together. I Can I pause us here? We can pause right here. <laughs> I'm having so many, so many thoughts. Everything is swirling in my brain. Ethan, does this bring up any reaction in you or does it just sound right to you? I mean, I always knew I was an alien, so. <laughs> so far, this is checking out. This is, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, master race, white, big, strong, alien. Got it. Great. No, this sounds right. Like, white folks will do whatever they need to to make themselves the center of the universe. And so. Not only are we the master race of this planet, we're the master race of every planet. Oh, cool, cool, good. Yeah, yeah. I do like, like the Andrew. Ja so far, Andrew Jackson is my favorite part of the story. Like, I can imagine <laughs> Andrew Jackson, you know, saying that as like an excuse, and then everybody in Europe going, "Okay, you know, <laughs> all right, <laughs> this guy's brain doesn't work, but sure, sure." <laughs> I Yeah, what I think I like the most about the Andrew Jackson part of it is that, of course, this idea of there being some secret hidden master race full of Europeans is just an excuse for us to do a genocide. Mm -hmm. You know, I so many conspiracy theories to me seem to come back to the to the answer of justifying genocide. Right. And I, uh, boy, boy, we get real creative when we don't want to be held accountable for for the horrors that we commit. Well, and, you know, I've been doing an Ezra-Nehemiah study, although now it's just an Ezra study because we all agreed Nehemiah is mostly about construction, and that's not as interesting. <laughs> but sitting there with, with my crew each week has been interesting because it is, a, it is a book fundamentally about justifying the expulsion of women and children from the community who are deemed foreign. Oh, wow. And with that, like, framework of Ezra we kept coming into things where it's like, oh, this is just like, insert any number of things humanity has done throughout history, and especially American history, because that's what we know, and also we're very good at it, unfortunately. So, you know, issues at the border now, well, that just ties into this define an outgroup and then punish them. Right. The Holocaust, of course, all these things. And it seems like an inescapable evil within humanity that we want to do this and it, it and it goes into such a fundamental thing as surely i have to be the one who belongs here and the people who live here the people who actually have been here longer they can't be the people because that means i'm not the person right right we don't know how to handle our outsider status right 
when we want to be in power. That's that's really interesting. And Ezra, again, is interesting. And we'll go back to aliens because this isn't an Ezra discussion. Uh, but Ezra is interesting because it is a group of people who are pers- pushed to the edge themselves. So mm-hmm. it's like trying to survive and resorting to a tactic that probably works seems to have worked for the for the uh exilic community but is that the only way it could have worked is kind of the place you're left at because you can't Mm. it's it's hard to look at a people who are on the brink of extinction and say well you could have done it better but at the same time reading it you can't help but say surely you could have done it better you know it's complicated which is the kind of you know historical biblical criticism that's interesting to do and i'm glad i got a good group of people who could could sit there with me and go what do we do with this because i don't know anyway alien yeah well let me let me say one more thing yes is that i think i think saying that this is a tactic that we use because you said earlier that um this kind of exclusion and othering is something that's like inherent in human beings to do and we could i think we could argue that kind of original sin thing all day but i do think that at the very least it's a tactic that we have found to be very effective over time yes and and that's i think that's a better way to say it is that it seems inherent to us that we resort to this not that we have to do it um, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that saying bigotry is just a consequence of human nature is uh, justifying bigotry in a way. Yeah, yeah. I'm here for that. Okay, back to aliens. Yeah, so um, the Otto neighbor, um, again, is the German archaeological group. And World War II does not go well for the Nazis, thankfully. And so there's a breaking up of things. Project Paperclip comes in. Some of them go to the U.S. to work on our own weapons of mass destruction. And some of them just go to prison. Do you guys know about Project Paperclip? I do. I uh, get mad about it all the time. Okay. Ethan, do you know about Project Paperclip? Not really. Okay. I'll I'll just do this quickly because I think everyone should know this. Um, As they were going through Nazi war criminals, there was a policy in the United States, and this is where it gets its name, where any figure they thought could be useful to the American public or to American war machines, they would put a paperclip on their file And instead of going to trial, they would be offered positions in the U.S. to research rocketry, drugs, anything and everything that we deemed they would be useful for. Yeah. Yeah. This when I learned about that, it ruined October Sky for me, which was this like really formative movie about how like with the right people in your corner and like the right amount of dedication, you can get out of your crappy small town with no uh, other possibilities for moving forward. And then you realize that is that his hero is Werner von Braun, who is a Nazi who helped us build missiles after he helped the Nazis build missiles. And it's just like, oh, 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 okay. There's a very good song by Tom Layer about Werner von Braun. Yes, we'll put that in the episode description because it's one of my favorites. Babu, I love it. But so, you know, this is going on. And then at the same time, when we get into the 40s and 50s, we start to have an interest in space, more so than we had before. This is kind of the height of going into the 40s to the 70s, height of sci-fi. Tropolis, of course, blows everyone's mind with this idea of a moon colony I think they're on the moon in Metropolis. I might have made that up. But there's this idea of going to space, expanding our horizons. And with that, there's also the sudden emergence of what at the time were called Foo Fighters, things that pilots would see when they were flying around, lights, um, any number of objects that they just couldn't quite explain. And, of course, when we get 
forward a bit more in this time, the Roswell crash, which was the U.S. government covering up a spy technology they were working on by actively convincing people, yeah, maybe it's aliens. Wait, there was an actual technology we were covering up? Yeah, there was a there was a there was a, a, a spy program uh, where we were making weather balloons that had like camera equipment with them, and then we would send them a, a, over Soviet space, and they were high enough up that we could get photographs before satellite technology sort of thing. The the weather balloons are a real thing. I thought that was just a joke. No, the weather balloons were the actual thing that was happening. Oh my god! Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy that it's like the, the, the thing that's put out for quote-unquote disinformation is actually the real thing. And then the government, to cover up their spying efforts, were like, hey, you, you talked about aliens, talk more about it. Wow. Yeah, weird. <laughs> but so this interest in, in UFOs and aliens, it just keeps growing. War of the Worlds, H.G. Wells, um, we have Oscar, not Oscar, Orson Wells, not to be confused with H.G. Wells, um, does his radio play, people start shooting up water towers, although apparently that never happened. But, you know, we've got a fever, and the only way to satisfy it is aliens. This is where we start to get the foundational kind of concepts of what the different aliens might be. So, you know, the little green men start to develop as something people see or are worried about, and these become, uh, in alien lore, the greys. And we'll talk more about what the greys are. Okay. But aliens start to take a definite shape that really is solidified by the time we get to the sci-fi of the 1970s and 80s, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that kind of thing. But in, 19, in the 1960s, we finally get one of our main characters in terms of the, the tying of white supremacy to aliens. And this is a man by the name of Von Daniken. Eric Von Daniken, to be exact. And he comes up with a little idea. So people have been saying for years that the Egyptians couldn't have built the pyramids. It must have been some enlightened European culture or something like that. But Von Daniken says, oh, what if it was aliens? <laughs> and he writes a book called Chariots of the Gods. Question mark. I never realized there's a question mark on it, but it's Chariots of the Gods. Question mark. The first episode of Ancient Aliens exhaustively talks about Von Daniken and how great he is. But of course, we have to bring up an old friend, and that's the Nazi party. Woo. Von Daniken was not a Nazi. He had no interest in Nazism, to my thing. And this is where I have a conspiracy theory, because what I'm about to tell you used to be easily accessible through, like, Wikipedia and stuff. I had to go to the German Wikipedia to find the source necessary to prove this. So I'm not saying there's a cover-up, but I'm saying maybe the History Channel might be doing something with ancient aliens soon. Wow. But he had a co-writer writing under a pseudonym. Um, his actual name was Utz Uterman. And I'm just going to read a, a portion of his uh, German Wikipedia page. As chief editor of the Reich Youth Leadership, Uterman was oh, no. responsible for the youth magazines of the BDM and the Hitler Youth and published several books in the party's Ayer Publishing House. He was editor at the Volks, Volksischer Beobacher, Bachter, I apologize to all Germans. Um, from the beginning of the Second World War, he took over the column Soldiers Tell Stories, um, which was later published in four successful anthologies with millions of copies. On Amazon today, you can buy a book that was published in Nazi Germany called The Rise of Greater Germany, and he is listed as one of its primary authors. Okay. And Uderman is the editor 
of chariots of the gods. Oh. So the final form of the book, Von Daniken has his idea, but the final form of it comes from Uts Udemen. And so, all of a sudden, alien lore is inseparable. Because of how big Chariots of the Gods was, it is tied to a Nazi and Nazi ideology. Hmm. The idea that peoples throughout the world could not achieve the things they did, it must have been something far more enlightened. This is where the term Anunnaki becomes associated with um, alien lore. Danikin argues that Anunnaki means children of the stars or children of heaven. Just to be clear, the Anunnaki were Chthonic gods. They lived underground. So this made me very mad. Um, <laughs> but he took, the, he took the name apart. And if you take the constituent consonants, you can reform them to make children of the stars, which all linguists say is a bad move. But he says the Anunnaki are aliens. And over time, it develops to be that they are a hybrid species. But again, I'll get to modern designations of aliens in a second. The next step in this transmission of aliens into a thoroughly kind of white supremacist thing, at least people who believe in actual aliens. And again, there are just people who want to believe there's aliens, and they're fine. I have no problem with that. But they are drinking from a very, very dangerous place like if they drink too deep they will find these people right the next thing that kind of happens on on the the evil side of this because at the same time star trek's happening and gene roddenberry has plenty of problems he did present a future that's actually kind of cool so i'm a star trek person good on him those aliens are cool we'll talk about the ferengi sometime but for the most part they're cool <laughs> okay <laughs> Yeah, it's not perfect, but it's better than this. True. But uh, a guy named William Bill Cooper enters the conversation. And uh, Joe, you recently discovered Bill Cooper. I did. <laughs> through, through a podcast, and you sent it to me, and I said, Ah, yes, Bill. <laughs> Our good friend. Bill Cooper, I did not realize, was an alien person. Like, that's not how I've known him. And it's kind of wild that I wasn't aware that he is considered like the premier ufologist for a lot of people. Bill Cooper is a guy who um, served in the military and realized that he could make a lot of money if he pretended he was in on a lot of secret projects. He wrote the most boring introduction to a book ever in his kind of seminal work, Behold a Pale Horse, which has Great. the best cover of any book ever made. It is an amazing cover and it's an awful, awful book. And what the book consists of is him writing about his own life and experiences and then supposedly like secret documents that he has found. And the secret documents are all clearly written by like right wing weirdos because it, they all are said in the way they say things. Mm -hmm. So like it's not like, uh, you know, we're going to do this plan so that we can destabilize the government. And so we can take over. It's like the stupid poor people will get their their taxes raised. And when we raise their taxes, they will become dependent upon. It's just it's not how anyone would write if they were actually writing evil plans. But one of the things that he does throughout uh, Behold a Pale Horse, besides say things like, you know, communists are hiding behind every corner. You can't trust people. You need to form militias and all that stuff is he's talking about UFOs and how UFOs are real 
and that there's a coming ice age that's being covered up and this and that and Jupiter is going to explode into a sun any day now. And just, you know, ramblings, 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 ramblings. But now suddenly the militia movement has an interest in aliens. Hmm. Suddenly the government isn't just keeping, you know, everyday things away from you. They're keeping the reality of, of a world beyond ours from you. And again, for me, Bill Cooper, I don't associate him with aliens. I associate him with like um, the OKC bombing, the Oklahoma City bombing, because oh. the, the perpetrator of that was a huge fan of Bill Cooper. And Bill Cooper covered that entire thing as if from the moment it happened, he said, they're going to blame a militia person. They're going to blame a militia person. So when it was a militia person, he was able to pretend he was right, even though he was just covering himself when one of his fans ended up being the one who did it. Right. Like Alex Jones does. Yeah. Right. Speaking of which, one billion dollars. Love it. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) He will never pay that off. That is a good feeling. And they're not done. They have not done punitive damages. He has only paid compensatory damages so far. Wow. So he he will never pay off that debt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, in all of this, I saw Ethan unmute his microphone. Ethan, you have anything you want to jump in with on uh, the, the pale horse and the nightmare? No, I mean, it sounds terrible, all of it. But... <laughs> I just love how uh, imagery from Revelation always ends up in stuff like this. Like, oh, of yeah. course. Well, and this is the other important thing about Cooper is Cooper... Um, and his militia weirdos as a whole are all doing this forgotten country. That's their whole thing. So now, guess what? We've got Christian extremism leaking into this. <sighs> to the point, going back to Alex Jones and, and his ilk, one of the more baffling things that Alex Jones has gone on the record multiple times to say is that the human destiny is to go into space to join the armies of heaven against the demonic hordes of the universe. What? You know, I can picture him saying that, too. Like, I can hear his <laughs> voice. The human destiny. <laughs> yeah, no. It's and, for people and to go into space. <laughs> he, he is adamant, and it's, he gets dead serious every time he says it. So it's not like one of his weird rants that doesn't mean anything. It's something I think he genuinely believes. But then he also says things like when Queen Elizabeth died, possibly one of my favorite things that this strange man has said, which is um, the queen um, has gone into hyperspace and it's bye-bye time. Which I just, I just don't know what that means. Like what, (laughs) what are you, what are you trying to say, sir? (laughs) Bye-bye time. Okay. I thought that he was going to do the, the queen has been weekend at Bernie's the whole time because they didn't want her to have a 69 year reign. Cause that's my favorite conspiracy theory, but well, no, that would have been better. Um, but see, <laughs> that's something that we could like, that's believable that the monarchy would do that. Um, queen Elizabeth's grandfather, I think it was physician killed him the night before something happened. Like the night before he thought he was going to die. Right. So that his death would not be published in a edition of the paper he thought would be unseemly for the death of the monarch. Right. <laughs> and that's like British politics are weird. What why is it that we even spend even half a second of our brain capacity 
on British monarchy. Because they're lizard people. You hear total weirdos. You know, the, these people These people are biologically inferior people. But they are. They're inbred and weird. <laughs> and, and we're like, we still pretend like they've got the blood magic. And I don't understand. Well, let's talk about blood magic since All you right. brought it up. <laughs> so um, as with anything, like we've, we've hit kind of the ultimate end of every conspiracy theory in the United States is it will be tied into anti-Semitism. We got the Nazi party here. White supremacy, we've got the Nazi party. Actually, a lot of these come from it just starting with the Nazi party, doesn't it? White supremacy, anti-Semitism, Christian nationalism, because, of course, God is protecting us not only from threats foreign and domestic, but threats extraterrestrial as well. Anyway, we'll get to that. But th So that all ties back into this idea of trying to define what makes humans special. Um, and at this point, we are no longer in a place where I can give you a coherent, like, timeline. We are now in the weird things that are common theories that these people hold but are not, I can't say, and this person brought it in. So bear with me. It is generally accepted that humans are the product of breeding between alien races, and water apes. What? Yeah. So the water ape theory was this idea that humans developed from a stream of apes that lived along coastlines and were able to, like, swim and therefore lost a lot of their hair and stuff like that. It began as an earnest theory oh, of, like... Aquatic ape theory. Yeah, aquatic ape theory. Yeah, I love aquatic ape theory. Yeah, this, is, this is, like, my, my jam. I love aquatic, this shit. Well, I hate to tell you this, but aquatic ape theory has been disproven. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. It was disproven okay. the moment it was spoken out loud. Like, like it's, yeah. it's, it's, But I love this shit. It's like my favorite thing. It, it, it was an attempt to explain some of the, the uh, things about us that are different from other great apes. But, of course, quickly it became like, ah, so you see there's two kinds of people, those who came from the great apes and those who came from the water apes. Yeah, we're mermaids. Yeah, uh, mermaids. A fan? Uh, no, not a fantasy made real. There's a there's that awful Discovery documentary. You can watch it yeah. on Discovery Plus. I, I watched. It was great. Oh um, I, I love, buddy. I love this shit. This is like my favorite theory. You know that anybody has come up with. Like I'm going to get tenure at Brown University purely by studying aquatic ape theory. Mark there's so my many words. younger theories you could go with, though. <laughs> like if you want a dumb theory, there's ones that aren't so closely tied to weird races joe if you pick, take your if you take your hand take your left hand and spread it as hard as you can you'll notice that you still have partial webbing in your hand <laughs> i'm upset that i looked just to see and then i was like no that's just how the skin connects no it's partial all. webbing <laughs> maybe you maybe. were a mermaid <laughs> Joe, oh take your heels and put them together to form a V. Don't you see how it looks like fins? All right. We've done it. We've proven it. Okay, so we have this this thing. Yeah. That so, people think. so, and again, you might get people who they abandon the apes, but we're some sort of hybrid. And a lot of people will say we are hybrids with a race called the Pleiadians. They are from the constellation, the Pleiades, or Pleiades, however you want to say it. Um, the, the Pleiades? Seven... 
however you'd like to say it. Uh, Sorry, that wasn't, that wasn't, I'm judging you on pronunciation. That's the Pleiades are a young star system that are the, <laughs> the type of stars that are there put out such strong stellar winds that you can't form planetary systems around them. There's nowhere for anybody to come from in the Pleiades. <laughs> that is what NASA would like you to think, Joe. Oh my God. I'm, Okay, keep going. <laughs> I think I think you'll find that there's a bunch of white people in the sky, and they live in the Pleiades. Oh my God! How the... Okay, okay. No, it's very stupid, and the only reason this exists is because people can easily identify the Pleiades in the sky, and if you drive a Subaru, then it is on the back of your car. So people just right, know it. because it's from the Japanese legend. I I'm yeah. going back through all of the planetarium shows that I've ever done to very high people, and now I'm wondering if any of them were secret white supremacists who are very excited when They're I like, robbed the. That's where we come from. Oh my god! But so the the Pleiadians at least have guided human evolution, <laughs> if nothing else. That's true. No, we know that. But there is another force in the universe which is typically put against them which is the reptoids or reptilians. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those are two mm, different That's the British monarchy. Well, eh, we'll get to that. <laughs> is Kanye West a reptile? Because he because he just bought Parlor. Did he? Yeah. He bought Parlor? He just bought it. Oh my god. Oh well, god. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's <laughs> That's upsetting in a different way. Okay. <laughs> But um, so the other force in the universe are, are these reptilians. And depending on who you ask, they're either a united front or they are, you know, different races with different agendas. Um, there's one guy, at least uh, his name is Mark Richards, orchestrated a very complex um, murder plot. And I think the dollop did something on him called the Pendragon Murders or something. Hmm. But he's worth looking into it for nothing else that he's just you know, a weird murderer who got a following. He claims that there are actual, like, velociraptors in space that work with humans. Very stupid, again. Cool. But the reptilians and the Pleiadians are against each other. Uh, Pleiadians are universally good. Reptilians are universally bad because space racists apply it to space races as well. Then you have the greys, who are a servitor race, they are usually described as being purely or partially mechanical. And some people say they are humans from the future who have come to the past, which is very fun. I like that. If for nothing else, then that's a literal plot point in Doctor Who. Is it? Yeah. Season finale where the master comes back, he sends robotic humans back to kill modern day humans. And he's able to oh, do right, that right, because right. he's built a sufficiently large paradox engine. Doctor Who is very stupid. I love sci-fi, but all sci-fi is stupid. Um, <laughs> and if you talk about it, you sound like a crazy person. Um, so, again, and again, I've been on Star Trek kit. So, man. Ugh. In any case, the Greys are these servitor races, and that's why they're the ones we run into the most, is because they're doing the work of other people. Um, hmm. But those are kind of the three ones that you always get from people. And from the Pleiadians, you also get the Tall Whites or the Nordics, which as soon as you hear that, you should go, uh-oh, why do you call it a Nordic? Uh-oh. <laughs> That's a very particular charged term, Nordic. I'm more, I'm more worried about um, going back to Nazis. I can't remember the specific author, but he described Jesus as a ray of Nordic light. Mm. 
in in the darkness of the Middle East. Yeah. Um, because the Nordic race was the the best of the white races you could get outside of Aryan. It was like Aryan, Nordic, Anglo-Saxon, something like that. Yeah. So, you know, even within the hierarchy of white, we have to make some better than others. Yeah, this is why I freaked out when the Confederate statue that I was trying to get removed on the placard, it talked about um, the mothers of the soldiers who were Teutonic in their strength. And Ooh. I'm like, oh, you mean you mean German? You mean Aryan? Maybe let's talk about why this got put on this plaque, huh? Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, so you've got the Nordics working there too. And all of these races, of course, are controlling the earth. The U.S. government is usually considered to have made a treaty with these, with these forces. Um... <laughs> So that they will, you know, give them certain amounts of people or they, you know, every war is actually a war between these uh, competing alien factions. So there's no actual human cost to it. So, you know, yeah, the Russia and Ukraine are fighting and it's a war of aggression on Russia's part. But don't you know that actually what's going on is some weird conflict between, you know, Pleiadians and, and reptiles. So you don't have to feel bad about it. So now now I have to pause you there. The, there is an entire like pro-military culture in our country, yeah. And for these folks, like, is the idea that like, no, there's no such thing as a human soldier. Like, every every conscripted person or enlisted person is a is an alien. Like, is that? I don't think they usually go that far. Usually, okay. what usually what it is is. You don't have to feel bad, like the like the country is doing something wrong. Like there are soldiers who are fighting and dying, but the reason they're fighting and dying is to further the cause of one of these alien races. I see. So okay. we we can go to war against this country because they're in league with this alien race we don't like, and so it's justified on a cosmic level. That sort of thing. Neat. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 when when religion doesn't do it for you. You, you come up with aliens in a lot of ways. But again, Christians also will adopt aliens and say, well, the bad aliens are the demonic forces, the the spirits of the air that we have to worry about, that sort of thing. And they'll go with that. So you can, you can incorporate aliens into your life. And this goes back to the central truth of conspiracy. If you believe one conspiracy theory, you can believe all of them. Hmm. Which is why there's a, there's a good documentary on Netflix. It's called Behind the Curve, which is about Flat Earth. It focuses in on two key figures in the Flat Earth community and their will-they-won't-they they relationship that at least one of them thinks exists. <laughs> but at the end of it, it takes a turn and becomes very serious. As scientists explain, you may think it's fine to let these people talk about Flat Earth. But once you're done with Flat Earth, then comes vaccine denial. Then comes uh, 9-11 trutherism. If you believe one clearly wrong thing, you will believe others too. Well, now here is where that's fair. That's true. But here is where I, I am uh, suspicious of even that. Because that's a, a very easy way to then just sort of turn on religion then too, right? Hmm. Like, i you know, I believe in things that maybe not everybody right now, but, but many people in various communities would be suspicious of, 
you know, are, are my beliefs then or anyone's beliefs subject to a particular kind of like epistemological approval? Like, yes, of course, these conspiracy theory people are insane. Vaccine deniers are, you know, silly. There are no reptilian species that, you know, wear human suits and control the earth. Like, that's ridiculous. But um, the take uh, of we can't allow people to believe the earth is flat because that's just a slippery slope to, you know, these other beliefs we don't like strikes me as a as a uh, a fallacy uh, personally, because, you know, lots of people believe lots of things that are not necessarily true. Yeah. So I wonder if I, so it does kind of go back to the problem of like we all and in terms of like interfaith conversations, right? When we're like, well, we can let the reasonable people believe their reasonable faiths. But like at the end of the day, you're just claiming that like enlightened Western thought is the is the way of thinking, right? That's the stick by which everything else is measured. And that makes that really like the true religion we should be believing. So there is that problem there. But I think I think we can differentiate between that problem and the idea that conspiracy conspiracy thinking in particular is a particular type of of uh, looking at the world. And so if you th- which is often uh, egged on by the fact that like there are conspiracies and so some of it's true. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you're willing to believe that they're putting microchips in the vaccines and there's a conspiracy of people who are doing this, then you're more willing to believe that there is like a secret group of people who are running everything behind the scenes. And like, you're, I guess you're more likely to believe that they're actually secretly aliens like that. I think that line of thinking is, can be considered distinct from, I believe in a deity that, that I can't see or I have no provable evidence for, but like, that's my deeply held belief. Like, I think that there probably are desiderata that can help us separate between those two. But I agree that like the slippery, slippery slope aspect of that argument is, is concerning. Well, and perhaps I should clarify something with that because the issue with conspiracy thinking is not that it is irrational. It is irrational, right? But it's not that it is, you know, it's not a thing that you have faith in. It's an affectation that you take on. So the reason that conspiracies thrive is because they make you feel good. They give you a justified place for your anger, for your discontent with the world. It's It's not the problem of, you know, economic systems or anything like that. It's because people are conspiring against you. And so you get strength back. It's a survival tactic in a lot of ways, um, even though the people who often cling to them the most are not people who necessarily are in a place they need that. Um, it's, you know, the big issue is that conspiracy thinking among people in power produces untold problems. But the other thing with it, and particular to kind of the slippery slope argument that I'm making here, is that so many of these are predicated upon an idea you really want to get across, and so you use something else to get people there. So you're not going to get people initially to say, you know, white people are better. But you might be able to get someone to say, you know, it's kind of interesting the way the pyramids were built. Um, It seems like they probably had help from someone else. And then you have a foundation you can build, then build on. 
Now, some people will stop right there, but if you get the people who are susceptible to that kind of thinking, then you can be like, yeah, I bet they were aliens or Europeans or et cetera, et cetera. And so one of the things that you do with conspiratorial thinking is you always put a little nugget of the next step. So mm. going back to Bill Cooper, in his original copies of Behold a Pale Horse, and unfortunately I did not buy an original copy, so I did not have this, how he tried to cover this up. He included in his collection of documents a debunked piece of writing called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Oh, right. And this book, um, or this this you know document, goes through the supposed Jewish conspiracy to control the world. But he knew that his readers would not be go into anti-Semitism without some help. And so he said, whenever you see Jew, uh, just change it to Illuminati. And whenever you say go see Goyim, change it to Patriot. And then you'll understand the truth. But even with those substitutions, it gets in people's heads. There's a cabal of people. They're controlling you. And the way they're doing it seems a lot like what people are saying the Jews are doing. So maybe that's actually the case. It goes into alien lore because um, a lot of people associate the reptilian-human hybrids, which are called the Anunnaki, going back to the Von Daniken stuff, with Jewish people. And so there's this idea that some of the evil alien races work through Israel. And they're not, you know, all the Jews aren't suspect, but some of them just might be. So you can't trust them. And then you build up from the foundation of something easily accepted. Hey, it's weird the pyramids were built so long ago and they're still standing. And then you just go from one conclusion to the next until the people you're talking to believe something you actually want them to. So it's not a slippery slope in the sense of you will just naturally fall down these rabbit holes. Is that the rabbit hole is built to get you somewhere where you are more likely to accept the next big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't surprise me that like the next big thing at the end of the day comes down to white supremacy and anti-Semitism. Because right. as we heard in this episode, like this, this idea of the like ancient peoples couldn't have built the mounds starts with Andrew Jackson, who's trying to justify like the white takeover of this continent. Like, of, of course, this is that's where it starts, because that's what everything's built up from. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, that what you said is the thing, is that if you trace this back again, far enough, it comes to how do we justify the things we want to do? And conspiracy thinking says, this is the conclusion I want, and I'll make up the way I get there. Mm. And I will find the way. And again, uh, as you, as you said um, earlier, there are plenty of opportunities for people to find conspiracies that are real. And those are the things that people will point to constantly. The Tuskegee experiments, the presupposition that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq to justify the war. Those sorts of things that we look at and say, clearly we were misled by people in power. And then taking that real thing, put a twist on it, and then before you know it, you're, you're, you're eating out of the hand of whoever wants you to go a certain way. Yeah. Hmm. So... Uh I wonder if there is so so we talked about how like you can just think that like maybe aliens are out there because like space is big you know like the Carl Sagan approach of like you know if there's no aliens then it's a big waste of space um, 
And I think like, that's fine. That's probably not super harmful. Um, you do still have with Sagan this idea that like aliens are super intelligent, but I guess they have to be super intelligent to get to us. I guess you're kind of stuck with that in right. terms of storytelling. But is there a way to like believe in greys and believe in alien abductions that doesn't lead you to white supremacy? Like, can you stop yourself from going down the rabbit hole and just have like, I don't know, a fun fascination with this, the way we have a fun fascination with Mothman? Or like, do we need to be no, a lot of this stuff is scary and you should probably not even start down this path. I think as long as you see it as like something that is speculative, you're fine. It's when you start making rules about it. You know, the idea that there's life out there, I mean, it would be weird if there wasn't. And if it's not, in, if there's not intelligent life out there, it would be even weirder because how does it happen one place and then never again? Well, because God made it that way. Well, thank I hadn't thought of that. Um <laughs> We are the center of the universe. I forgot that point of cosmology. Right, right. But, you know, there's a lot of alien stuff that's really interesting and doesn't depend upon a lot of the tropes that get us there. And again, none of them are perfect because they're written by humans who are going to inevitably put their own biases and, you know, implicit things in there. But, you know, the entire uh, Mass Effect series is about aliens and humans interacting. And it builds off of a lot of sci-fi tropes, but not in a way that's usually too scary. I mean, there's weird things in there. Don't get me wrong. That's interesting. Uh, Cosmic horror is another thing. And maybe we need to look at cosmic horror as the way we see this, because the genre of cosmic horror began with one of the worst people we can conceive of to be an author, which is H.P. Lovecraft. Right. (laughs) Horrible monster. All his stories are deeply racist. But there's something about cosmic horror that stays with us. it's that idea of something beyond ourselves and bigger than ourselves that we can't comprehend. And we love that as humans. And here's an interesting thing, just talking about how like deeply rooted things are in anti-Semitism. I keep wanting to say that it's a poisoned well. That's an anti-Semitic trope. Is it? Well, because what is the accusation of well poisoning throughout history that the Uh... Jews did it to spread the plague? Right. Gosh. So every time the Joker poisons the water supply in Gotham, we're just spreading more more anti-Semitic tropes. Great. Yeah. Well, the well, Joker I'm... the Joker is Jewish. Actually, we should have known. Actually, the Joker is Jewish. The, Wait, what? The jo- there is a there is a Batman um, uh, uh, comic book uh, in the eighties where the Joker attends to, uh, like synagogue, like he is Jewish. Uh, uh, the Joker uh, has also been everything at one point. Yeah, like okay. like that's I yeah that's you could also interpret that as part Al- of yeah. He's Alfred Pennyworth in one of the comics. Yeah, he's Tim oh. Drake, one of the Robins, and yeah. Um, okay, but probably not great. This is the other thing with comic books. Is again going into these tropes, you don't got to dig too deep before you find a stinker. Yeah. There was I was I was recently looking Joe we were talking about this about Good News magazine oh, and I was looking at one of their documents from 2004 which was on the possibility of making a new denomination and I'm like how long is it going to take me to find one of these guys associated with one of the organizations I always talk about first article that I go to they tie one of the people behind Good News to being funded by someone who was a member of the John Birch Society, yep. which is a Are group of... Are you kidding? 
which is a group of anti-communists who just really, you know, screwed things up. And so I, I, I put in one of the groups that I'm in that talks about conspiracy stuff. I'm like, how long do you think it'll take me? This is what I'm doing. How long do you think it'll take me to find this? And the first comment was someone saying, I bet you already found it. And I'm like, listen, you type that comment, you hit enter, and I read it on the page. So correct, you win. <laughs> Man, of course, of course. Because it's it's what we've been talking about with Pioneering Durham. Like the bad behavior, the, the, the types of ways that people be uh, can be evil and can be evil to each other it all just ends up being the same thing over and over again right it's just somebody trying to get power over somebody else in a corrupt way that harms other people Mm -hmm. and it's just it's again it's the same tactic over and over and over again and it's really a shame that something as fun as aliens (laughs) started out being something as awful as all this but let's also consider like this is how our modern conception of aliens have has done this, but there's always been a much more beautiful way of looking at the cosmos. Um, the various tiers of angels throughout Christian history are, at the end of the day, an experiment in what would become, you know, it's adjacent to the kind of thinking that aliens are about. It's looking up at the sky and saying, what could be up there? What could be hmm. out there? Could it be things with four faces and six wings and they sing all day could it be people with dog heads um could it be raptors who are into antiquing and love to eat chocolate could it be (laughs) you know anything and everything and there's a beauty to that and there still can be like i said i um even with alien abduction stuff there's some interesting stories out there that are just interesting on their merit if you just end it as an experience people had Mm. it's when you try and tie it into the bigger world that inevitably you find the biggest bulk of information and it's from these kinds of sources but like the 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 mothman prophecy is a good example it's very little of it is about mothman it's mostly about an alien named indrid cold and his interactions with a guy who later um claims to be have been made pregnant on the planet of lanulos and they never really explain that or talk about it again but a lot of that book is just about this guy and his abduction situations with Indrid Cold, the planet he goes to, and all the stuff that happens with it. And again, reading the book, you constantly run into this kind of uncomfortable thing associating um, the men in black that constantly appear are, are described in ways that just make them sound foreign, like that, like they're some um, Southeast Asian people this guy ran into and decided were maybe aliens. And that's not great. But you still have this thorough line of injured cold and this weird abduction story that makes your imagination go, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I think that's the kind of the thing. It comes down to do you see in things different than yourself, outside yourself, other than yourself, something that you want to appreciate and respect and understand, kind of the Star Trek perspective, if we idealize what Star Trek puts out. Or do you see a threat? Do you see something that you need to be afraid of or control or take over? And that's kind of the, the difference, I think, between perspectives people can have on aliens. And if you look at it as just like, man, this universe is so big and I'm fascinated and I want to imagine what kind of people could be out there, great. 
You know, I, I kind of like that. I think that's a good place to leave it for this conversation. But John, thank you so much for coming on and uh, ruining aliens for us. I can ruin so many things for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate that. Ethan, will you sign us off? Yes, I can. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been a mini-sode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Spanx Reebok, the Dude, and the Flatwoods Monster. And we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor? is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schomolf. Performed by Joe Schomwolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Email us at whatthehellisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WTHIAP, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP, where you can get access to Pillow Talk, merch, and some other stuff. Thanks for listening, and remember friends, Ethan gave me all the money in his wallet.